Welcome to the Do Business Better podcast, the place for ideas you can implement to achieve prosperity. You'll get insights from successful business people on how they do business better. You'll glean tactics on creating a life and business by choice because we interview real business people who've done just that. Now here's your host, Damian Mason. Hey, thanks for joining us here on the Do Business Better podcast. It's me, Damian Mason. I have a great show for you today because I have a client of mine that is a smart lady. She's a successful lady. She has been in business on her own for now she's in her 36th year. She's in a rural community in Nebraska. And you're probably thinking, wow, what's this woman doing out there in Auburn, Nebraska? What she's doing is making money, running a business that serves clients very, very well. She's been a client of mine. And she's also helped me get some, uh, uh, some work with some associations. So I think well of her, but also I think well of her story. She's got a story you can learn from. Her name is Ruth Gertis. Ruth Gertis is going to teach you what you need to know to run your own business, to get through some of the travails and some of the challenges you will go through in an industry that certainly is going to have some ups and downs and challenges. She's been at it for 36 years. She's expanding, and she's bringing in some new hires, in fact, for her business. She has a company called Auburn Agency, and they do crop insurance. So, Ruth Gertis, welcome to the Do Business Better podcast. Thanks, Damian. All right, give me the scoop. Uh, There it was, 1985. You're married to a farmer. You're a young woman in uh, rural Nebraska. Take me from there. Young women with 18-month-old twins having survived the 18% interest we were paying and trying to figure out how to maximize my earning power in a town of 3,500 and play to the passions and what I love to do, which is entrepreneurship. Yeah. So you, you know, you're, you're not, it's not like you just got flung into this. You're from a rural background and a farming background as am I, but that doesn't necessarily, it certainly means you know how to work, but it doesn't mean you know how to start a business. So what'd you decide and how did that happen? Some of it was pure luck. My husband was uh, a worker. He was a crop insurance adjuster. And some of it was the circumstances of the 80s. 83 and 84 were major droughts. After the 83 drought, we were looking at what our cost for crop insurance was and what our payback was when we had a massive drought. And it didn't compute for me. So I pulled out the policy, thought about it. But at that point, I had one-year-old twins. Happened again in 84. Then I really pulled out the policy. I went to the local agency, talked to the gentleman that owned it, and said, I think we can do better for farmers. So that's what started the goal, was doing better. I thought it was a small job that I could work at part-time, raise our kids, and here we are 36 years later. It's been an incredible ride, and it continues to be an incredible ride. Uh, you know, they always talk about necessity is the mother of invention. So it was, you were up against a wall. For those of you who are listening, I'm an agricultural person, obviously, as is Ruth. We know that the 80s, when you just say the word 80s and you say agriculture, it, it gets people like to where they're almost gun shy because you had 18% interest rates. You had an absolute implosion in world commodity uh, prices. We had an oversupply situation. It was a really difficult time. As I always explain, uh, I don't need to carry on. I walked uphill both ways to school in the blizzard and all that. But I can just tell you that having been a child growing up in the 80s and being a pretty observant, money-minded kid, I was looking around saying, Jesus, this is terrible. And I can tell you that 
things were so bad in some cases banks wouldn't even repossess the assets they were that toxic so that's how bad the 80s were so you were going through that and you started a business in agriculture in that so that's that's kind of like saying i'm going to start a business uh with all hell going against me absolutely however (laughs) what i saw in pulling out the policy and reading it is that there was a tremendous opportunity for added value for my clients. They weren't being serviced properly. And by doing things right, it appealed to my core value of integrity. And it also appealed to the ag activities that I'd always grown up with in FFA and 4-H. It just appealed to me in so many different ways. But the bottom line was making a difference for every client I have. All right, so you're a young woman, you got small children, your husband's working and has a farm, and you start this business. Tell me about starting it. What did you, how did you, what did you start with? A vision. <laughs> and a no work, money. And a work ethic. A vision, a work ethic. Uh, and I think the futuristic vision all the way back to the mid-'80s is what drove this business. I think also a sense of humility and being able to listen to my client, understand their pain, because the 80s were extremely painful, and then realizing that I could do something to help that farmer that I saw at the ball field or at church and present that in an educational manner to them. Here we are. 36 years later. Yeah, it's a classic example of seeing a need, and you saw the need because you yourself were going through it. You know, people ask me, and I'm sure they ask you, oh, hey, you know, you've got your own business, or you haven't been, you know, had a real job for 26 years. I've got this idea. And I'm like, okay, that's not a bad idea, but it goes way beyond just the idea. You saw an absolute need, and you thought you could do it better. That was really your driving force. You said, I could do better. Absolutely. Education uh, was not good back there on risk management products. And as we grew and grew, what we determined is if we empowered the farmer, they made more money. And if we're the reason they make more money, we're more profitable. You always try and look for in business a win-win. Yeah, a so win for it, the client and a win for, the, for yourself. It's a classic thing of because some folks think that business is going out and just trying to rook everybody. It's just going out and being a used car salesman. They got this bad idea that, you know, it's just about how you can. And everybody that I have on this podcast that's been successful talks a lot about being of service, being of value, creating something that the marketplace uh, does see a value in. And, and it's not about building a better mousetrap. Sometimes it's just about being of service. Absolutely. It's. When you sell a product that's federally regulated and everybody's rates the same, the only thing you have to compete on is service. So that's the thing. Uh, your product is federally regulated. And, uh, and for those of you listening that don't understand that, yeah, crop insurance, actually some, some of the premiums paid by you, the taxpayer, and the reason that is done is to guarantee an agricultural sector that stays solvent. So that way we have copious amounts of food. That's in case you're listening and you wonder about that, or if you've heard uh, to the contrary, that's why some of your tax dollars do pay for some premiums. So Ruth can't sell this product based on price. It's federally regulated. Price is all the same. What do you sell? Service, education. And big picture, what do you sell? You sell keeping those people in business. Absolutely. Keeping them solvent. Yeah, if, if nothing else, they'd live to fight for another day. 
And we saw it last year with the flooding. We had extreme floods here. The difference between those guys that were educated and those farmers that had the right policy in place last year primarily meant the difference between staying in business another year and not. Yeah, so what you really are offering is a uh, not just a service, it's an education of here's where things are going and here's what we can do for you. So it's kind of that, uh, you know, when you talk about different selling methods, is it consultative selling? Is it educational selling? Is it just filling a, a, you know, an absolute uh, demand situation? You're a little bit of all that. Absolutely. And I believe the best way to add value is to have a staff that's well-trained and in rural America, you can find young people that have a work ethic that really want to work and learn and grow right along with you. And I've been blessed to have that, but I've also invested in many opportunities for those young people that they wouldn't have otherwise. Also invest in opportunities and have had for many, many years for our farmers. They get to hear speakers that they would hear at a national level in Auburn, in Nebraska City, in Lincoln, in Rockport, in Hillsboro, Ohio, people that they wouldn't hear otherwise. I appreciate you doing that because that's, that's me. That's where my role is. All right, you talked about listening. You talked about what you sell. And then you just said something about bringing in employees. Okay, you were certainly not an employer in 1985, but to grow, you brought in employees. What's the hardest part about being an entrepreneurial-minded uh, person than bringing on employees? Learning how to be a boss. Mm -hmm. It's very hard, particularly when you've done all the work for yourself for 20 plus years. And so you still struggle after all these years? Do you still struggle being a boss? I'm getting better. Uh, I've invested in myself in education and I've invested in staff. And I've been educated myself to realize that I don't know everything. And where I need human resources or sales training, the best thing to do is recognize that these young women are not going to learn everything from me. I need to expose them to other ideas, other personalities, because their strengths aren't necessarily my strengths. And my strengths aren't necessarily their strengths. Let's talk about your strengths. All right, you've done something right. You've come a long way. You've done very well for yourself and you've created a, a you know a, a nice business. What, what's the strength? My strength is tenacity. You just decide you're going to make it work. You're going to do it. Yes. When you're, when you're paying 18% interest to have 18-month-old twins at home <laughs> and a husband working off the farm as well as on the farm, you got to figure out a way to make it work. <clears throat> okay, tenacity is your strength. What's your weakness? You know, a lot of people are always uh, uh, unwilling to do that. And it seems to me the higher up people that don't admit their weaknesses, they, they won't show that they have a vulnerability and everything is, a you know, the old SWAT, strength, weakness, opportunity, threat. Everything's an opportunity. It's like, who are you shitting? You know what? Everything's not an opportunity. Sometimes there's just downright weaknesses. I know my weakness. I'm not a great employer. Uh, I've got self-employed syndrome. I'm good at being self-employed, but if I had 12 employees, I'd be pulling my hair out because I struggle with that. I could do it, but I'm not great at it. What's your weakness? Stubbornness. Mm -hmm. uh, being unwilling to take no for an answer. 
So that that's been probably, goes, and, and goes, I've gotten gotten hit hard by it. Goes back to it's your it's your tenacity and it's what made it's what built you, but it's also it's a weakness in that you uh, you run your head into a wall a couple times. Absolutely, and certainly with people that I've hired, uh, that has been the case. I get so married to the fact that I hired them that I'm not willing to see their weaknesses. Yeah. So being an employee. Uh, is different than being a business owner, as we all know. The problem is uh, you want them to think like business owners. They never do, though, do they? They don't start out in that manner. Uh, I think if you invest properly and allow them to have some of the same stumbling blocks that you did and allow them to grow that they can become that, but they'll become their best version instead of you. What have you gotten right and what have you gotten wrong? I think everybody that has gotten to a certain level of success, if they're honest, uh, will say, oh, Jesus, you know what I did wrong? Oh, and of course, you could fill a page or a book probably with the whole thing. Um, I'll give you a couple examples. I went When things started going really well way back when, I started, you know, I'm, I'm in my 20s and I'm making, you know, quarter of a million dollars or some very large number for a young guy that didn't come from anything. And I kind of thought, heck, this won't be hard to repeat or replicate 10 years from now if I have to do the next thing. It didn't dawn on me that it's not, it's not just a given. Once you've gotten to a certain level of uh, financial uh, attainment, that's not a given that it's going to stay there just because. That was one mistake that I made, and it was probably youth, I guess. You probably went through something like that. What was it? The biggest thing for me was not being a good boss to staff I had uh, and then being too married to an employee, not being willing to say, you're fired. Okay, so you, you were sometimes not good to your people that were keepers and you drove them away. And then on the other hand, you had an emotional uh, connection with somebody that you probably should have cut loose. Absolutely. And, and a lot of it was my own immaturity in being a boss. I wasn't immature as a person, but I was very immature as a boss after being self-employed for 20 plus years. And it, it really drove, uh, I had to hearn, learn a very hard lesson on cutting someone loose, but then I had to learn how to do better next time. And I think that's really my mantra for all of this business. I've never been satisfied. How can I do better? And that satisfaction leads over to my clients. How can I help them farm better? How can I help them be more profitable? And if I always keep that focus, that doing right by the farmer. Which is your customer. It, who is my customer leads to better profits for them, which leads to better profits for you. We spend very, very minimal amounts on advertising. Yeah, and that's a good situation to be in. I know that I got better when I started, and you are a client of mine, when I started realizing, uh, you know, whatever, 10 years ago, let's say, yeah, I already had my product, and I had my show, and I had my whatever the thing is. And I got better when I kept saying, what do you want the outcome to look like? And that was really very uh, powerful to just be, be smart enough to start saying 10 or 15 years ago, hey, what do you want the outcome to look like and how can I deliver that? And once, once you do that, then it becomes a real prescription. <laughs> it just becomes, here's all I got to do. Here, now I know what I got to do. Well, and that's being attentive to your client that's listening mm -hmm. 
And then that's being willing and not so stubborn mm-hmm. to admit when something didn't go well. All right. So sometimes after you do things that don't go right, uh, I went through a confidence uh, shakeout there when after about four years of everything going wrong, uh, 10 or 15 years ago for me, 15 years ago, I guess it was. My wife said to me in 2005, she says, I miss your confidence. And I said, honey, confidence is one thing when you're when you're when you're confident after you've screwed up as much as I have the last few years. It's stupid. (laughs) I don't want. So. When did you go through a confidence shakeout yourself? I'm sure you did. There was some time when you probably had a bad year and said, damn, am I doing this right? We were on a a very strong upwards trajectory. And one of my biggest confidence uh, downfalls was when we had a company that actually went under while we were servicing farmers' business. And I really had to step back and realize that partner that I choose to place my insurance business with has to be financially strong and able to go forward. And thank God those farmers had faith in me because we lived through a year when we had a company go under and a massive drought in the area and every single one of them went to the new company with me. But it made me much more vigilant about the contracts that the clients that I have never see. And then it also made me much more vigilant about always staying on the cutting edge as far as what can we add for technology, what can we add. Just don't stay in your comfort zone, but get out there. And consequently, what happened is about six years ago, we became on the cutting edge of all the precision technologies that farmers use. We were so far on the cutting edge that our regulator, I would call them and ask them, had you thought about this? And they would say no. And we would actually make up a rule that worked pretty well, they would put it in writing, send it to the company we placed our business with, and we actually came out with something totally unique in in our industry, and that was we had a government agency that wrote the policy from the grassroots up. Okay, you just said something that's really important because you're you're not a spring chicken anymore. You know, you're you're what sixty years old, and you talked a lot about being at the cutting edge of the technology to serve your customers and the innovation. Isn't that where a lot of folks they've had a successful business, things are going well, and they decide to coast? You don't. I mean, it's that's a mistake I see. It's like uh, I get it. You don't want to be out here beating the bushes like you did when you were twenty three. But also, if you start to not keep yourself evolving, you're going to be in a hell of a world of hurt. So is that what you're doing right? Is it that you're innovating? Is that what you're doing right? Absolutely. I was born an innovator. I had parents that were innovators. I don't know how to live any other way. And frankly, if you're coasting, sell your business and do your clients a favor. All right, I'm sitting here with Ruth Gertis, and we I just took a selfie of us, and you're going to be able to uh, look her up because she's got a good story. If I gave you four more hours per week, this is one of the questions I ask entrepreneurs. If I gave you four more hours per week, how would you invest it? If I just grabbed four hours out of the sky and I gave it to Ruth Gertis, what would you do with those four hours? Oh, I would, first of all, make sure it was balanced. <laughs> okay. Make, would- make those four hours balanced 
among my family, among my work. Uh, of course, four more hours with grandchildren is wonderful, but they're used to grandma that is doing things. Nothing thrills my grandkids more to attend a meeting or come to grandma's office and get to see all the cool things that I do. So I think you invest those four extra hours a week in a balanced way. All right. Uh, Habit that you have that has served you well. You've got some habit that has served you well, I'm sure. Something that you just do on a daily, pretty regular basis. What's your good habit that has has served you well? I'm a voracious reader. There you go. Uh, The business, mostly business books? I, I read anything and everything. I love history. I love... Uh, historical novels. I love, if I'm sitting down doing nothing, it would be highly unusual. It drives my husband nuts. He watches TV and I read and watch TV. Yeah. One thing that I've noticed that a lot of people struggle with, and you don't, because I've been worked with you now, what, five times, let's say, you do a pretty good job of connecting the dots. That to me is being big picture. You see this thing happening in the world, this thing out of the news, and how it then connects to your client. I see that. That's one of my strengths also. Is that a weakness that other people have? Because sometimes you look at their businesses and you're like, Jesus, why are you not connecting these dots? Is that something you see? Oh, particularly, uh, interestingly enough, the area I see it in most is in restaurants. Mm -hmm. When my husband and I go to a restaurant and the service isn't quite up to par or the food isn't what it should be, it drives me nuts. And I have a couple of girlfriends that are that way and we will ride all the way home and analyze that business and what they did right and what they did wrong and the opportunities that they left on the table. And, of course, it's, it's a rough business, restaurant and bar business, and I've been in it, and you've probably been in it, and, and all that. And everybody's like, oh, everybody's got a better idea. You know, everybody and their sister comes in, sits at a bar, and says, I'd like to have a bar someday because they think it's all just sitting around drinking beer and watching football, which it's not. Um, but you are in a service business. I'm in a service business. We're all in service businesses like the restaurants, so we at least have a little better handle on it. What service thing, what did you do, you know, when you look at it, what are you doing right now that you think, man, I want to improve that? Because it's constant improvement. For instance, for me, I look at some of my stuff and I'm like, hmm, you know what I'm not doing a good enough job of? I'm not getting, I I, I really believe this, I'm not getting as many uh, additional opportunities at my same client. You know, you've been a repeat client. It dawns on me, why aren't all my clients repeats? It's not because I did a bad job. There's this idea, oh, well, we used you and that's it. Yours is different. You do have repeat clients. What is it that you think you could do better on your service? I want to get more repeat clients. What do you want to get more of? Growth? I want to keep the existing clients I have because I really do believe that you dance with those that brung you. However, agriculture is changing. There's expansion and contraction all the time. And if I'm going to be positioned correctly in 20 years or leaving this agency as a legacy for the young women and men that come behind me, They have to be instilled with the vision of how do you get from where we are today and still provide the core integrity that is crystal clear and give them good direction. Next thing, you've got uh, a wealth of knowledge. Uh, What took you the longest to learn? 
how to manage people. Okay. And uh, then piece of advice that you uh, would give now that your 35 years, 36 years has given you that you just right off the top of your head, like, hey, the one thing I can tell you is. Work hard and listen. <laughs> so you're big on listening and then obviously keep reading. And then the person that you look at as a customer, because besides restaurants, that you think, man, this is the one mistake that businesses get wrong. I'll give you an example. One thing that gripes me, when companies or businesses make it hard for me to be a customer, had an insurance company, since you're in the insurance business, uh, six months ago that sent me, it was like going to take me 45 minutes of work, said, we'll get all this completed and fill. I said, no. And they said, what do you mean? I said, I gave you a check. That's what I, that's what I'm giving you. I'm not going to spend an hour of my life completing forms for you. No. And I thought, why are you making it hard for me to be a customer? I gave you a pretty substantial check. Do you see that? That companies make it hard? I mean, that's the, what are the things that you see? I, I do see it hard. You can look at airlines. You can look at healthcare. Um, we've got a wonderful little success story in, in my hometown of a doctor's office that reinvented their business model. And I mean to tell you, it's awesome. Everybody knows that they can call the clinic at 7 o'clock in the morning and they'll have one of the five or six docs there and see them that day. They did some unique things for a town of 3,500. Having had cancer myself in a, quite a battle for my life a few years back, I can tell you that I had better health care sitting in Auburn, Nebraska than Steve Jobs did where he sat and yeah. he died and I'm alive and I had a whole lot more tumor burden than he did. Yeah. And that's because, uh, one thing that you leaned on was a small town, uh, medical care facility decided to, to break, break the mold a little bit and say, let's not make it. So these folks have to wait 19 days to get in and see us and that kind of thing. Not only the docs, but the hospital and they coordinate and they work well together. It's an independent, uh, clinic owned by the docs and then the hospital worked that with them to develop heavens in nebraska you have people driving 600 miles to go to a clinic on the other part of the state and my cancer was a very unique and strange cancer my family's physician now sees patients from all over the u.s in a town of 3,500. So they've done a good job of being innovative and change, breaking the mold, and that's what you see as a customer that you're happy about. What do you see, So, and that's also what you see that others, uh, other organizations aren't doing well. Like I said, I, my gripe is when they make it hard to be a customer, and that's really what you're talking about. Absolutely. Her name's Ruth Gertis. It's the Auburn Agency or the Auburn Agency crop insurance side. She's been in business for 35, 36 years, still expanding, still growing in her 60s and deciding that she's going to continue to reinvent. She's going to continue to read, to learn, to hire people, to become a better employer and, and to keep the technology uh, to serve her customers. Closing thoughts that anybody from the dry cleaners to the, to the franchisee, to the self-employed, to the wannabe entrepreneur, closing thoughts, what do you got for them? Have a passion for what you do, but be willing to make that passion pay for your needs and your family's needs. Until next time, thanks for being here, Ruth. You're welcome. Until next time, it's the Do Business Better podcast.